My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to like this show. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece, Burn Notice, about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is an episode of television, a great episode of television, or a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end where we will explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, tell him sorry that he had to be in this episode. And also, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and uh, absolutely no criticism of any kind to burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. That's burnnoticed with a D. This is an episode that we watched together. <laughs> well, we didn't watch no, it together. No, no, we did not watch it together. We, but we did both watch it. And that we is have never... that is true. We have never watched Burn Notice together. One time I watched we... Burn Notice while you were around. That's true, because I had already seen the episode, so I was Exactly. But we have never watched <laughs> Burn Notice together. I think at some point we should. Yeah. Like, just to see. Maybe maybe we'll develop a Burn Notice drinking game and do it together and then record the podcast immediately afterwards. Oh yeah, like we did like on Rassilon. On Rassilon, yeah. Yeah. Um all right, I do have a question maybe, about... Maybe for a season finale. Maybe. I have two questions going into this episode. Okay, question one. Hit me. First, do we think maybe Michael Weston doesn't speak Spanish? <laughs> you mean because we only saw him say, like, two sentences? He specifically... He asked at the very end of this episode, he asked someone who spoke Spanish from Venezuela, habla inglés, and then they have the rest of the conversation in english for no good reason and like it seems very weird to me that michael weston a spy who is so good at being a spy he like can detect if you speak arabic with a kurdish accent and also lives in miami but does not speak spanish but there's no other explanation for why he would make them speak english so I'm going not to in assume... show. Like it's it's definitely like a show decision, so that they didn't have to subtitle like a whole thing. But like it's not even that long a scene. He says like four lines. You could have subtitled it. My but I want to live in the world where Michael Weston does not speak Spanish, and that is what I'm going to assume is the case until the show. <laughs> he speaks like everything else, but geez, Spanish has never clicked for him. Yeah, he's never <laughs> had to. That leads to my second question, which is: Is this episode worse? Or did I just spend our hiatus watching better television shows? This episode was definitely worse. It was not a great season opener. What episode is this, by the way? Uh, this is episode one of season three called Friends and Family, which aired June 4th, 2009, was written by Big Daddy Nix and directed by hot old man Tim Matheson. I will say there were a lot of directing moments that I specifically noticed in this episode that I he didn't He is hate. trying so hard in this episode. He really is. There's a couple of shots that it, like it feels like it's from like a horror movie which I will note later on. Like there were some really cool shots and some really like moody lighting, but There's a like, lot of it moody couldn't, lighting. There's a shot. We'll, we'll get to it. I'm sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll get, I'm sure we'll get to it. I'm sure we, we, we might even be thinking about the same one, but Probably yeah, there's are. like, there's some good shots, but the problem is, is that big daddy Nick's 
just like he like I don't think he writes second drafts. I think he writes one draft that yeah. kind of comes out as a fever dream in about a half an hour, and then that's what they shoot. Yeah. And it's really too bad because didn't he write the season three or season two finale that we actually both really enjoyed? Yeah, he did. I mean, what happened? He Matt gets lucky sometimes. Get some sleep, bud. I think Andrew, our um, our common friend Andrew, uh, director of many things that we're in, um, has this theory. He likes to say, "There's no good or bad writers. There's only talented or untalented writers that can sometimes make good or bad writing." And I think that's the thing. It's not really a situation of Big Daddy Nix is a bad writer. He's just a only mildly talented writer. And sometimes he can turn in good writing. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably that's probably it. It's just this yeah, this episode was a mess. I will say next week's episode I actually enjoyed a lot. We um, will I mean talk about next week next week, but I have opinions. <laughs> I mean I'm sure you have opinions. And it listen, this these next two weeks, it was not a strong start for this season. But that it means it's not. gonna be a a lot for us to talk about, which is good because we have a podcast where we talk about this show. Uh, I so Chris, am would you... terrified that the show <laughs> peaked already. No, I don't think it does. Like, there's got to be, there's got to be at least one other episode that's like okay. I am sitting here and thinking if we've made a mistake. We have not, because now we have a reason to make the rest of our show, and it's because we can't be the first burn notice podcast, and then also the one that quits before it's uh, it's over. We got to oh, make it right. through. So we it's all about spite now. It's all listen, if you if you if you don't have any if you don't have passion to fuel you, at least have spite, Chris. Hold on to it in your heart. All right then. Do you want a one sentence description written by someone else on the Internet Movie Database? I sure do. All right. Well the IMDB description of this episode reads An old colleague frees Michael from prison and asks for his help in capturing a man who is stealing land from Venezuelan farmers, but is that his real mission? Is it? <laughs> kind of making me seem, making me think that it's not. IMDb, you're putting doubts in my mind. Exactly. <laughs> also, good. when did Michael get in prison? What's going on? If I knew nothing but just read this description. <laughs> yeah, actually, I have a thing about that too. Okay, so uh, let's let's hop on into them weeds. All right, let's get right into the weeds right into them they're nice and moist as we discussed in our bonus episode with our friends over at burn notice noticed uh so this season opener begins right where we left off with michael swimming back to shore post helicopter hop when he arrives on the beach he realizes his troubles are just beginning and leads a possibly dirty cop on a very slow wet barefoot chase stealing some clothing and sunglasses from an open air market as he goes so this was a very confusing season opener for me because so like there's a spy monologue about like being paranoid and like if like a cop is just a little too interested in you blah 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 blah. and so i'm like what has he done he's just a guy that went to the beach and like sure he's not in beach clothes but that can't be all that uncommon for miami and then like he starts running and like a full police chase happens i want to say really quickly I love when they're doing the monologue, when he's saying the monologue about how you can't trust anyone. (laughs) He says it right as he washes up next to a child making a sandcastle. And it's like, 
I just kept how I kept thinking that he was gonna walk away and the kid was gonna pull a walkie-talkie out of the sandcastle and be like, he's on the move. <laughs> I feel like there's been a spy show, maybe even Burn Notice, where like somebody pulls a gun out from a sandcastle. Like they're building a sandcastle and then they pull a gun out from that like, the That sounds of incredibly it. familiar to me. Right? Doesn't that feel like a thing that's definitely happened? Listeners, if you can identify the show or movie that that is from, please let us know. I am desperate for anything that's not this show right now. But we must continue. So Michael, in his very slow, wet chase, somehow gets away clean, despite hobbling, essentially, barefoot down the streets of Miami. He ends up in, like, a hotel that's partially under construction, I think? There's, like, a lot of tarps and shit. He breaks into a utility room and calls Fee as he's, like, mixing ammonia and all sorts of stuff. And then Fee, in a moment of alarming restraint, recommends that he shouldn't um, blow his way out of the building because he looks like he's, like, trying to improvise a bomb to get out of, like, the side of the hotel. Because she's like, the cops are surrounding you, and if you escape, there will be, like, a citywide uh, manhunt. So you should just go talk to them. And I was like, that's the least Fiona thing I've ever heard. I feel like what have been what would have been a more fun scene is if he had been on the phone with both Fiona and Sam and it would have been like a back and forth sort of a thing yeah. where Sam's like, like especially no, there's too if, many cops. Fee's like exactly. blow it up, blow it all up. Well, and then it would be fun because like the, you know they they did that stupid montage thing that they always do where like during this phone conversation they have multiple you know. Sc- cuts on screen it's like a weird collage of shots and so wouldn't it have been funny if all three of these fools are in different places sam and fiona are arguing as michael is like on the phone trying to build a bomb and then like their scenes merge because like sam has gotten back to the loft and it ends with them arguing in the same room and finally michael being like guys i need a decision and like wouldn't that have been like very fun and energetic and brought all three of the characters in and would have made more sense from like a motivation perspective i don't know that just seemed like a like a fun concept that I maybe would have pitched we if I had was in the room. No time. There were a lot of important Madeline scenes this week, and we had no time for this good idea. I know. And so then, so like Michael looks out the window as Fiona's like, you shouldn't use a bomb. This is definitely Fiona, not a robot replacing her. And there's like cops everywhere. It's like he has been swarmed. And I think. In the next scene, it's implied that the reason that this is happening is, like, the the management, quote-unquote, has, like, you know, released his name to the world. But, like, how did they get to him that fast? How did they get that many cops in the area? And why are they, like, so freaked out all of a sudden that this definitely barefoot, soaking wet, unarmed man is so dangerous? Here's how I understand it. Basically, what Carla's, R.I.P., Carla's people... <laughs> We're doing what Frazier's dad was doing was basically every time Michael like blew up five cars in the middle of broad daylight, Miami, when the police would investigate that Frazier's dad would call him and be like, no, don't, don't do that. I know you want to do that. Don't do that. That's why Michael hasn't been arrested when he does incredibly obvious things. Well, so, like that okay. one time he pretended to be a security guy and just like walked out while the police had already been called and it never mattered. Apparently it never mattered because of Frazier's dad. Well, okay. So no, I get that. I get that. But m- 
So is the is the explanation that Fraser's dad has been giving just don't worry about like, it because I always imagine like I that thought that they Frazier's were like covering dad it up. Immediately called the police. I guess, but because like, this are is you like telling a tactic me that there are to get him back? Are you telling like, me that there are two years of fully unsolved cases that everyone knows are, are attributable to one guy and that they are all just been like being cool? Because I always imagine it that like they because a lot of those things like he set somebody up or like there had to have been some other explanation. Like I can't imagine that he was like, hey, these 13 totally unrelated here's what things. I, here's okay. it's all this one here's soaking how I make wet it man. Here, it's not explained. Here's how I make it work and why okay. it doesn't bug this me This is that your headcanon. This is the second headcanon of the episode for the record. Second headcanon of the episode. That um, no one has put all of this shit together before. And anytime anyone gets close, Fraser's dad comes in and says, hey, can I stop that? But, like, this has always been different detectives doing different things. And then finally, Fraser's dad said, hey, I think this guy is actually attached to a few of these things. But no one ever put it together before. Can you imagine what that phone call would have been like? Like, while they're all in the helicopter and he's, like, shouting on the phone. Like, no, West Weston with a, with two E's. Yeah. Yeah, the car, that don't, one. That don't was get like, it wrong or he'll get mad at you. <laughs> or, or people on Twitter will tell you that you spelled it wrong. Um, God. Uh, yeah, so that that was pre-cold open. We've got to the, we finished the cold open. And I do feel cold. Mm-hmm. I feel nothing. Here's a question. Is this the first time that uh, Matt Nix is getting a creator card? Or is it a different I, creator card? It, it, so I had that question, too. I'm not sure. I have never noticed it before. Something is different. Something is different. Yeah, maybe it's like a longer card than usual. Or was I it, don't know. Did he just have his name on the title card before, and now it's separate? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna look at like an episode or a season two episode really quick, just to see, just like a fun thing. Chris, can you vamp for me, please? I'll I'll just vamp. Yeah. Um, God. Yeah. No. But I think that is what happened. I will say my whole theory about what Fraser's dad was doing kind of falls apart next week when it seems like the cops only know very little. Yeah, it's the problem is is that it's like this big deal that they don't explain it all and then are like, oh wow, so scary. And it's like, is it though? Yeah, it I don't know what it is. Or it's I will entirely so possible that perhaps Fraser's dad made up a crime. Or even that Fraser's dad just connected him to the events of the season two finale. And like in which lots of people like multiple Yeah, that's people true died. because the the thing in the next episode is that they, they mention like that getaway that Fiona helps him with with like yeah. the exploding of many cars on a highway. Which exactly. So it's was entirely possible that it's just the most recent events. Which again is enough. Anything, it is a lot. Admittedly, it's a lot. Uh oh, anything that like these motherfuckers do on a weekly basis is enough that, frankly, you need to send a lot of cops after them. Uh, Matt Nix did not have a creator card in previous seasons. Confirmed. Uh, so, yes, right. this is 
his he he felt like people were forgetting him. He felt yeah. his his importance sweeping away. So he wrote an offensively bad season opener and added a credit for himself. Uh, at the signed top. it. He walked he in. It. He walked he w- into your living room and is like, "This is my house." Yeah. He, he walked into my living room. He took a shit on the floor and then he signed his name in it. I am Big Daddy Nix. <laughs> so you will respect se- me. <laughs> in this house, we respect Big Natty Nix. Um, except that we don't. We fully don't, and we never have. We call him Big. Never Natty. will. <laughs> we I never refuse. will. I mean, he's done. A couple of things right over the years. Anyways, so okay, the the next thing that happens because I remember I remember the annoying cop from this episode. Like I, as I was watching, I was like, this feels familiar to me. The what I didn't remember was the rest of the plot. But when we we come back from the title card and Michael is in jail, he's like in his little orange jumpsuit and he's talking to Sam, you know, on the other side of the glass wall, you know, classic visiting a friend in prison scene. I was like, ooh, are they going to take advantage of this and do an episode where Michael is in jail and has to like help somebody from the inside? Because it's like one of those classic like secondary bottle episodes. And I was like, oh, that would have been fun. I would have hated that. I Why just, would you have hated that? Because as I love a those rule, episodes. I hate stories in prison. Interesting. Like, I fully accept this is just me. It's not like I think they're bad or whatever, but I hate stories in prison. I There's something about them that I just don't care for them. Don't want to watch them. See, I consider them like the, the next best bottle episode because like the first bottle episode is always like something in a bank. You know, so like Bad Breaks, for instance, or the many bank job episodes and other cop shows. I feel like the prison from the inside bottle episode is like the next most common. And I enjoy that as well. I mean, because it's like I I like that there are limited thing like you're not just limited by your space. You're also limited by like your access and like the fact that, you know, theoretically, whoever is inside is, you know, being punished. And so like they're they're even more limited by their circumstances. And I just have to, like, I figure think I out. don't think it's an interesting setting. Like, I don't care about prison. I mean, you like, have to do it well, but I mean, I you, then, you might like, have just your own thing. Like, no, for I me, definitely it's like 100% it's perfect classic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, like a classic just, it's a bottle plot episode that setting. Just have a bad reaction to. I also have a bad reaction to um, plots that happen, especially a lot in genre shows, um, wherein suddenly the main character gets captured and then has to fight in a gladiator ring. Oh, yeah, that does piss me off. That's always annoying. It's like, can. Can we not? Like, there's it's, things you can do with someone in, in captivity other than have, like, a big fight. But to me, it's the same. Or they're very similar. Because it's all about, like, it's always, like, here's a bunch of really gruff men who s- want to stab each other. <laughs> and, like, well, we're going to hang thing. out. And it's grimy. And everyone is dressed badly. And yeah, Chris has a lot of opinions on the way in which people are dressed. But so yeah. here's here's my thing about this in particular. So one, the stakes as soon as he's out of prison, which is like next scene, are immediately gone for me in context of like, oh, True. we're not protecting you anymore, Michael. And two, like 
It feels like he was in there for such a short and ineffectual amount of time, even if he hadn't, it, the episode hadn't taken place in prison. I feel like being in prison should have done something. Like, it would have been cool think. if he, like, developed a relationship with someone in there and decided to, like, do him a solid and, like, it turned out to be connected to blah, blah, blah. Or he was in prison with someone that he ended up putting in prison and now they know who he is and it becomes this whole thing. Like, something should have happened with prison. Otherwise, like, they just you know, rented the set for half a day. Here's what I think. We'll never come I back think they didn't have as much access to prison as they thought they were going to have. Because <laughs> everything shot in the prison looks like shit. It really does. And I was like, this is, this is like an SNL set. Everything in the prisons, on the prison sets, looks like shit. But also, everyone's acting is worse. Like, Bruce Campbell, I think Bruce Campbell's kind of bad in this episode. But in particular, Bruce Campbell is sleepwalking through his like like prison chat scene. You he's mean like his so, just long line of exposition was not delivered with the same kind of charisma that his normal lines of exposition are delivered with? Exactly. It's I mean it was so a bad scene in general. It's I, so low and it and like I think that the set, they didn't have it for very long. They thought they were going to have it for longer. And they're like, well, fuck, just never mind. We'll get that one scene. And then you can do some fucking push-ups. And we'll do a montage of push-ups. And then we'll get the fuck out of prison. And it won't be prison. Because it all looks bad. And they had to get in and get out. And they couldn't get more than, like, one take of Bruce Campbell. And, like, that was it. Yeah, I mean, I still think that, like, despite that, prison should have done something else for this episode. Because it feels no, I like agree. we set up this whole thing, and then we go in a totally different direction and never mention that thing anymore. And it feels like a missed opportunity uh, that's, frankly, sloppy. And, I mean, if there's one thing that I can say for Matt Nix, it's that I'm not used to his work being sloppy. Just kidding. All of his work is sloppy. Get your shit together, Matt Nix. Anyways, we have to move on. We're only on bullet point three of my outline. <laughs> I will say this is one of my shorter outlines because like truly so little of consequence happened in this episode. Oh no, it's a very, yeah. I will also say, so I've been listening to a lot of Gilmore Guys, the podcast about Gilmore Girls. And mm -hmm. um, as, I, as I've been listening, I'm like, what can I take from this wildly popular podcast that would make my podcast more popular? And I like that they have like, the soundboard where sometimes they'll record sections. And like, I was thinking back to like season two of burn notices. And I was thinking like, wow, some of those moments, I feel like if we had had audio of them, it would have like totally changed it. Like Michael's crazy, like, you know, born again, Christian speech, or like, like there were been a couple of moments in burn notice where I'm like, I wish we had, like I had incorporated the audio of that, like just like recording it on my phone or something and adding it later. And so I like watched this episode without headphones with every intention of recording like some audio so that like we could incorporate that into our discussion and not a single fucking line in this episode compelled me to do so. So we Christ. might be getting some new audio for this season, but this episode fully, I had, I felt nothing i was completely numb the entire watching experience so yeah <laughs> agreed anyways so then we get news from sam that he's showing up in police databases cool then 
he uh oh the other thing that we learn in this scene from sam is that remember the sunglasses from the season two finale that were just like left in the helicopter and we had like a weird shot of them before we see michael jumping out of the helicopter well apparently <laughs> that was for a reason uh, and the reason is is that management has mailed him his sunglasses back to the loft with a little like hang in there cheesy kitten card that says let us know when you've had enough management so, like, they clearly, uh, Cowell, Cowan, what was his name? Philip Cowan? He clearly got this from someone. They like yeah. little kitschy cards with threatening messages in them. So, that's cute. They love this bullshit. <laughs> that's what they spend like, all of their money I on. Think... And, like, that's why all of their jobs are bad. Because, like, they spent so much time in, like, the graphic design department. Like, ooh, the kitten should be saying, hang in there. No, 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 that's too cliche. And then Carla's like, hey, can I get any funding for, like, my fucking sniper job that I'm doing? I'm like, no, 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 Carla. This is going to be so funny. Hang on. This is the kind of workplace where they, like, we're going to have, like, fun Friday where you can wear fun clothes. <laughs> we're all dressing up on Friday. It's going to be crazy. It's 60s week. It's a whole week. <laughs> Bring your kid to work day. Jesus. Oh okay. So then there's a montage of Michael working out in prison and eating slop uh, until he's informed out of nowhere that he's been released. So he walks outside, still shoeless, shoeless, still shoeless, which feels like an indignancy that maybe is a little bit overdone. Um, and we meet Harlan, an old buddy that he knew from back in the day. That's really all you need to know about Harlan. He is a guy who has been in a lot of shows who, he, uh, <laughs> he was Bobby on Cougar Town. That's how I know. That's who he was. That's why I recognize him. Okay. He is Bobby on Cougar Town and he's playing exactly the same character here, yes, which he is, is an incredibly dumb seeming, but good natured Southern guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so all we know about Harlan is that he's known Michael for a long time. So cool, I guess. And uh, he got and Michael out of prison. And I remember watching this at the beginning thinking, is he supposed to be dumb? Or do I feel like he's dumb because the actor is playing it kind of dumb? Or do I just think he's Bobby from Cougar Town? And, <laughs> and the answer is weirdly none of the above. Well, no. I think the episode does think he's dumb. I think that... Yeah, I guess it kind of does. We we'll, we will get there. Let, we will unpack Bobby from Cougar Town in a little bit. So um, the next thing we see is a cut to Madeline's like fully blown up house from last season. And Ma Madeline half-heartedly sweeping up debris while smoking a cigarette, which I very much enjoyed. One thing I do like is that they uh, they didn't just, like, sweep it under the rug, pun intended, uh, that Madeline's house was, like, destroyed at the end of last season. Like, it, it has become a runner now for the next couple of episodes, at least, that, yeah. like, they have to finally have to fix her house. Because her house has gotten fucked up a lot. Uh, and so has Michael's loft to a certain extent. And we rarely get to see the, like, fallout of that. And so I appreciate that, like, Madeline has this completely destroyed house that they now all have to deal with. So There's they... so much continuity, so much <laughs> continuity from the Sam and Madeline plot from the last episode. Which I appreciate. Because not only is the house still blown up and it's a thing that, like, Madeline cares a lot about and is mad at Sam about, but, like, Sam, like, now this car 
is part of it. <laughs> oh, we'll get to the car. We'll so, get to the car. Oh, we'll get so, to the car. Oh, we'll get to the car. So Madeline uh, is, sees Michael come in and immediately starts yelling at him. Fair. And then Harlan and Michael and Sam and Fee all circle up in the backyard. And it turns out that Mike, uh, Harlan has a case for them. So that scene was largely just, I guess, to show off the house, have Madeline yell at them. And then they go to a next location. At the next location, we meet Marta, who is technically the client who shares with us the case of the and week. I think we also have to, for some reason, we have to introduce Harlan to Madeline. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Harlan meets Madeline, and Madeline's like, hi, Harlan, you seem dumb and sweet. And he's like, I am. And then they leave. Um, so we, we shouldn't meet question it. <laughs> we shouldn't question it yet. Um, or should we? IMDb description. So the scene with Marta, I had to watch it like three times, and I still don't like fully think I grasp what the technical plot of this episode was. So from the IMDb description, which f- frankly helped me a lot this episode was uh, a a bad guy and his bad guy friends are buying up land illegally from Venezuelan farmers like are they even buying it or are they just forcing people out are they government people and that's how they can force people out of their homes or are they just like bullies something about land rights in Venezuela and also Marta's dad is in prison is a thing because he spoke out against them is that I what happened I have no fucking clue <laughs> I have no fucking clue what is going on. (laughs) Something Um, about land rights. Like, I'm looking at the Burn Notice wiki right now. (laughs) Um, And according to that, uh, her father was scammed out of the land. But why is he in jail? Um, uh, Rufino Cortez was the name of the man running the scam. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know how the scam involved jail. Because he's definitely in jail. (laughs) Yeah, no, he's in jail. I don't know. It's so needlessly complicated, especially to be as unfo... Like, we just needed a guy who's bad. Like... It did yeah. not need to be this complicated, Matt. But Matt likes to do this, where he makes something like really like convoluted and like conspiracy and like all of this stuff. And I for don't no good reason for absolutely no good reason. Most of the things that happen in this episode happen for no good reason. So the but like the only purpose of this scene is to introduce us to Marta, who uh, I guess um, Harlan is dating. Uh, and introduce the case of the week, and the bad guy's name is Rufino. Cool. So we cut to some, like, Miami skyline shots over which there's some, like, bump and club music, and I'm like, ooh, I know where we're going. We're going to Rufino's club. We don't know that Rufino has a club yet, but we hear the music, and I'm like, this motherfucker's got a club. Of course he does. So we cut to Rufino's club. He owns it. So, of course, he has his little, like, cordoned-off area where he's being creepy to younger women. Uh, He is joined by his right-hand man, Falcone, who... If I am not, if I'm correct, is the guy who played the vampire that Buffy the Vampire Slayer has to fight when she has yes. to, when she's like graduating from being like a child slayer to an adult yes. slayer or he is whatever. That guy. Okay. He good. also came back in season six, and he plays Rack, the magic drug dealer. Yeah. 
That, who, oh, yeah, I forgot he played two characters. Yeah, he's yeah, like he a, plays that character, too. But, yes, I immediately recognized him from that. Okay, cool. So that's um, all I can think of the entire is, time. He- here's the thing, though, of I remember that episode of Buffy, Helpless. And then I remember Rack in the later ones. Yeah, and the Willow drug den. And he's, like, in the drug book. And he's, like, older in that. But, like, this guy looks like he aged 15 years since those episodes. <laughs> yeah he looks like because like he's in a lot of prosthetics in Buffy and it kind of looks like he still is I don't know he's got one of those faces that's like is that your real face I think it's just his face no offense to the man who is very scary um, but yeah he's he's got a very unique face he kind Anyways. of you, he has like an intimidating Willem Dafoe vibe to be honest, I have not engaged with enough Willem Dafoe media to have an opinion. Uh, but anyways, that guy's name is Falcone. He's the right-hand man, but we see him more often. So we see Rufino, and he's being creepy to women, and we see Falcone, who's just, like, also there. We also learn that Rufino is guarded by both uniform guards and plainclothes guards every moment while he is at his club, except for when he takes his nightly lady conquest to a private room in the back of the club. Yikes. And if you want to imagine what an old man's fuck palace looks like in the back of a club, yep, that's what it looks like. We know this because Carlin has conned a key uh, to the conquest chamber out of someone, I guess. And he's like, look at me. And he, like, lets them into the room. And all of a sudden, Michael's like, oh, no, 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 no. And, like, an alarm goes off. Of course an alarm goes off. Michael, we should add, in a very snazzy fedora. Yeah, he's not just in a snazzy fedora that seems kind of too big for him, but he's also in a very shiny suit because it, yeah, it like still it's very sh- <laughs> an awful color. Oh but yeah, shinier than normal. I I can't believe I skipped over the fact that Michael is wearing a slightly cocked fedora with a shiny suit. It's awful. I love it. I want Michael it's... to be in this outfit for the rest of the episode, and he is not, and it's a fucking crime. What I love about it is that yeah, he's not playing a character. He's <laughs> no, there he's in the just hat. there. I mean, I think he might have played a character and then Harlan, like, fucks it up. The idea was to make a run, like, an approach. <laughs> yeah. As, like, uh, some a time cocky traveler. gangster. <laughs> time traveler from the late 80s. God. Uh, yeah, he's incredible. Anyway, so, yeah, so they get into the fuck palace. Or time traveler from, like, like five years later. <laughs> Sure. Time traveler from an undetermined time in the future or past. Who knows? He's very confused. Time traveling fucks with your brain. Anyways, they're in the fuck palace. Douchebags have been wearing fedoras forever. It's true. So inside the fuck palace, there there is an additional keypad, it turns out, which they don't have the code for despite having the key. So the alarm goes off, the guards come running in, and they escape out a back window with Michael yelling at Harlan and Harlan going, oops, sorry, bud. Um, so See, because he's sucks. dumb. Yeah, because he's dumb and Southern. So he's actually the... dumb. He's not playing. This <laughs> well, does not I think help he is. Deception. This... I mean, that's true. I guess that's true. Like, to be honest, Harlan's game is very confusing, and even when he does a very long villain speech later in the episode, it's still not clear. Just like the plot of the, the and he pl- still the... seems dumb in the speech. Oh, he does seem dumb, but it's like. But what kind of dumb is he? Like, the the flavor of dumb that this man is is never made clear because it's just True. as convoluted as the, you know, the farmer plot in Venezuela. Like, it's all just there's a lot of n- nonsense going on that requires us to spend a lot more time on it that we don't have. 
So yeah. anyways, the next morning, Harlan and Michael, who <laughs> fashion report again, is wearing light blue pants, a polo shirt and flip flops. I've never seen Michael Weston wear flip flops. It was very unsettling. Uh, and he's eating a yogurt. Um, it's very good. It's a very good look. And Marta comes in and they let him her know that it's going to take a little longer than normal. That's the end of that scene. He eats a yogurt and flip flops. And Marta is also there. Cool. Then we get a scene where Sam goes to meet with Barry, who knows about Rufino as, quote, a bag man for this land grab thing. <laughs> so even Barry's confused by what this whole plot is. Uh, and Barry's not thrilled about being asked to help by making Michael a cover ID so he can meet with Falcone, a.k.a. the scary vampire slash drug dealer from Buffy. That's yeah. all that scene is. Barry's going to make a fake ID. Why it needs to be Barry, unclear. Because uh, we got to pay this guy. We got to pay this guy. So now we go. So this is like a series of like three scenes that are just there for like one line of exposition before we can move Do on. people like, like Barry? Do you remember liking Barry at the time? Were we clamoring for Barry? I don't remember having any opinion of Barry whatsoever. Because he's thing. never in an episode long enough to make an impression. He's He'll be in like one scene, maybe another scene at the end to like wrap it up. But like he's just there to be sassy and drink. But it's not even a great performance. It's fine. No, it's not. The only good Barry scene is the one that he... But it's not like Seymour or something. No, it's true. I wish it was Seymour. But the only good Barry scene is the one from either late season one or in season two between him and Sam where they're they're naming people who's who go by one name. Remember that? Yes. That That's, was a good scene. That was That's the only good scene, though. Every other Barry scene is like, why are you here, Barry? So, yeah, I don't know what's going on with him. But anyways, he's making Michael a cover ID, and we do not see him for the rest of the episode. Nope. Cut to Michael helping Madeline. I do believe there is a reference later to his skincare routine. Oh, yeah. Because I, and which I, again, read as gay coding. Because, yeah, like, this they, is, that they, one's definitely a kind of no homo thing. This is a this is the thing is that everything about Barry is no homo, and yet every once in a while he'll leer at a woman. I don't know. Maybe he's like fluid and bi. I'm not sure. I don't think that this show is nuanced enough to understand no. fluidity or bisexuality. But whatever's happening with Barry is extremely confusing, and I wish they would just pick a lane. So the anyway. point is, there's only one kind of man, <laughs> and it's and it's a red blooded American. Yeah. It is a very heterosexual man. A very specific like, kind of heterosexual man, too. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Michael is helping Madeline rebuild her house when Sam arrives with Michael's new cover. Also, remember that car that Sam and Madeline borrowed from her neighbor to escape the exploding house last season? The car that Chris mentioned earlier in this episode? Well, it turns out that neighbor, who's 80 years old, has a quote, 39 going on 22-year-old daughter, whatever the fuck that means. I have that Sam, in my notes, too. Who's what Sam the is, fuck? What the fuck? So she's tw 39 going on 22, and Sam has seduced her into letting him keep the bright red convertible for a while. I don't... What does that mean? She looks like she's 22. Is I But here's the, the thing about Sam is that Sam usually likes like older ladies, like at the very least age appropriate ladies. Yeah. And so the fact that he would be bragging about dating an older woman, but who looks younger is extremely confusing to me. It's very weird to me. And also, originally in this like line of dialogue, like he's like, oh yeah, I, uh, she's a very interesting lady, Madeline's neighbor. And Michael's like, you're seducing an 80-year-old woman? And I really wanted Sam to say yes. I really wanted yes. that to go in that direction. That would have been fucking amazing. 
You know, like, older women need felt, love too. I will say it would have felt possibly kind of predatory. I mean, I don't think so. I think grandma, I don't know. it depends on if how grandma much drives agency. that car around. Grandma got some. That's true. This is very true. I don't know. Maybe the idea is that she's youthful, that she has a lot of energy. Also, what's interesting and good for grandma is if she's 39 and grandma is 80, she had her daughter at like 40, 41, which is pretty yeah. like late in the game. So, you know, honestly, good for you. This is a good family. <laughs> This is what we should have focused on for this episode, not what other. I want to know about these on. people. <laughs> so we, so Michael's cover ID for this episode is Tom Willington Esquire, lawyer for a shady international investment group. Further convoluting whatever convoluted bullshit is happening in the crime story this week. Yeah. Um, Michael plays up being the sniveling grunt and meets with Falcone, pouting that he's been, you know, asked to meet him in shady conditions. Uh, Michael lets Falcone rough him up a little until Falcone feels safe and confident. And then he tells him to meet them at a train yard for the meeting with, uh, Rufino the next day. This scene is a scene we've seen in like three other episodes. Yeah. Um, and it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Like Michael's doing his version of like pathetic man. There's a very good screenshot, though, that will become the promo picture for this episode. Uh, it's extremely funny. And the framing of that little sequence was not bad. Uh, yeah. But it was just sort of like a whatever scene and a whatever script. So they're meeting at the train yard the next day. And so the plan is, I so I guess at some point in the episode, we have learned that the plan for Rufino is they're going to kidnap him and like essentially independently extradite him. Back to Venezuela. Yeah, I think to that was the idea crimes. from the beginning. I got that from the beginning. They say I, that like early on. Sure. I'm sure they did. And they did a great job. Good writing, Matt Nix. So anyways, <laughs> so to plan out this this old man heist, they go to the train yard the day early to like set up and like figure out how. steal this old man. <laughs> We're going to steal this old man. Uh, and so they like set up a bunch of like explosives and like basically they're setting a path because it's like a very wide open space and they're like if we're going to kidnap him like they chose a good place because it would be very hard to cover all of these like exits and all of these different little paths so we're going to set it up so that like we're going to explode places so that they can't go through them and we're going to basically lead them where we want them to go uh, yeah. so that's the plan makes sense that would have been a cool scene we don't see it spoiler alert uh, and so during this like setup sequence they're at the train yard for like maybe half an hour and then they go back to the loft and uh, Fiona is working on explosives and she and Sam have this conversation where Fee's like do you think now that Michael is like untethered from this shady organization that he's finally gonna like move on and like do you think he'll like leave Miami because he can now like there's no threat in his life and Sam's like oh no I think he'll probably get his job back and Fiona's like why (laughs) all of them are terrible like, he, he still hasn't gotten his CIA job back. They're clearly not interested in talking to him. The shady organization is shady as hell. All of these other people are after him. Like, what is the point? Like, they haven't been very loyal to him. And then Sam says, quote, um, The fact that you have to ask means you're never going to get it. The CIA is an honorable institution. 
There is no war in Ba Sing Se. Yeah, so it's just like this very weird scene where Fiona's making a lot of very valid points about like, why the fuck does he want to go back to work for the CIA? It's a clearly corrupt organization that clearly does not care about him. He's doing so much good work here and he could be free to do whatever he wants and still do good for a lot of people. Why is he doing this? And Sam's like, well, because red, white, and blue, darling. Yep. The thing about Fee is a lot of times Fee is right. And She's they have always to, like, right. Fee is right. Generally, I'll, there's so many scenes on this show where Fee is right. And the show and is then, like, like, isn't she being silly? Yes, exactly. And it's very annoying. It's so annoying. It's like it's like a an AI that's like so close to passing the Turing test and then it fails at the last minute. Like that's what this show feels like sometimes. It's like it's almost lucid about what's happening in its own self and then it just isn't. <sighs> Anyways, it's the next day and it's time to meet up at the train yard. Unfortunately, even though all the explosives are set, Rufino ain't coming. It's just creepy vampire man again. There is a tense showdown and some shots are fired, but Michael, a.k.a. Sickly Tom Esquire, holds his ground, so they all leave unharmed and, I guess, plan to meet up the next day. Yeah, he's uh, yeah. that's another thing we didn't say. Like, Michael's pretending to be sick. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, because... co- like the way that he pretends to be like this weak little man is he's like coughing into a handkerchief all the time. Yeah, it doesn't really mean much, but he's just like... It's his new character of... thing. Yeah, it's his character. It's just, like, a thing he wanted to try out. Yeah. Well, I it, like, I think the idea is, like, to appear weak. Yes. But so. I just felt like mentioning it. It is a thing in the episode. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So then that scene lasts longer than it needs to, given how little happens. Then later that night, Michael is on the phone <laughs> confirming that he's finally going to meet Rufino the next day. Uh, and the, he's going to meet him for a car meeting where they're going to be in a car and have a meeting while they in drive around. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. In a car. Fiona eats a yogurt. Harlan pours a beer into his own yogurt. And then Sam oh just God. drinks a beer. Is that like, that just uh, sounds disgusting. I don't like yogurt. I don't mind yogurt. Um, I go through phases where I'm like really into it. I, I've never, it's... You can eat it with granola. You can eat it with, like, fruit in it. There's a sourness to it that I don't care for. Only if you're Uh, looking for, like, a sweet palate. Because, like, I I hear you that, like, froyo can be a little sour in unpleasant ways. But, like, eating yogurt with, like, a fruit palate or, like, a grain in it is actually quite nice. uh, Very filling. Never been a fan. But so the point being is that, like, I have no context for this. But obviously. Oh, yeah. Beer in a yogurt sounds nasty. That's that sounds like the grossest thing. Maybe cite if he had had like a nice hard cider, like a dry cider, that might oh, have been kind of nice. Yeah. I mean, don't but the put point is that he's a yogurt. good old boy. <laughs> he's a good old boy, and he puts I'll, beer in his yogurt. I also just liked though that Fiona had yogurt straight, uh, Harlan had beer and yogurt, and Sam just had beer. Like it was a nice little like like one of those gradients, like the evolution oh. of man. <laughs> Kind of thing. Oh, there was a couple things. Um, did the shot that I was talking about? Um, we were talking about how shots of direct that are mm-hmm. seem over the top. There's one shot in the last scene when they were setting up, and they put a bomb on like a truck, mm-hmm. and it's this crazy zoom, this, this really wide angle zoom onto it when they've sped it up. 
a little bit. And it's just weird and over the top. But, like, it's like, especially since the bomb never goes off. Right. They not, like, they never do anything with the bomb. In fact, I don't think anything happens with any bomb the entire episode. No. No bomb. There were a lot of bombs made and no bombs detonated. Very disappointing. Got uh, bomb blue balls. Yeah. Bomb balls. So yeah. they all discuss that now they have to plan for a vehicle old man heist. So Fee and Harlan go hotwire a garbage truck in the dead of night in a kind of nice shot like from the passenger seat of the car as Fiona in the dark is like hotwiring it. And so there's like little sparks and there's like this nice little glow and Harlan's kind of behind her outside of the car like looking in as they have this conversation. I kind of enjoyed that frame. It was some interesting lighting choices. And Fee asks Harlan to talk to Michael about going independent for real like him because she's her whole plot of this episode is like, hey, Michael, maybe don't go back to the CIA. There's nothing in it for you that you can't get elsewhere and better. Um, and so, like, I I actually really do like this plot line for Fiona because I feel like it's the first yeah. time that she's given her own opinion and mission, especially in a next episode. And, of course, it's still centered around Michael, as always. But, like, I understand her motivation and I understand her explanation. And I agree with her. And we just talked about this. But, like, I, I do like this as a quest for her because usually her quests within episodes are very, like, selfish, but in a way that feels like it needs to be selfish and not like this is a thing that Fiona would actually want. Yeah. Like this is the first time that I feel like it matters and it's a conversation that they ought to be having and just no one's having it with her. Yeah, no, I agree. So that was nice. Uh, In the meantime, Sam and Michael plan the route for the old man heist in a vehicle. Uh, and Michael mods his briefcase to hide a knife. Uh, they're at Madeline's house, and the re- the reason that we're at Madeline's house is because the briefcase is actually his father's old briefcase. His father doesn't strike me as a man who ever was at a job that required a briefcase, but fine. Madeline then lectures Michael completely out of the blue for getting a nice young Southern lad like Harlan into all this trouble because clearly he's both a ding-dong and desperate for Michael's approval. It's a very confusing take given that she's only met him once as far as I can tell and like why would she care and also he's very clearly a large muscular adult man. It feels like he's gonna be fine and Madeline taking this position like oh sweet little Harlan we can't do no harm to him just feels very bizarre given how little they have interacted this episode. And so I write here because I don't remember this. I didn't remember this plot when we were watching the episode, even though I know I've seen this episode before. I was like, I hope this pays off, but I feel like if it does, it'll be dumb. And it did. And it was. It was. Yeah. And I don't know what the point of it was. I don't either. Just the point that Madeline is a bad judge of character. I mean, it does feel like like Madeline is frequently the punching bag in these episodes for, like, no good reason. And that is always frustrating to watch because Madeline has, like, some really fun things. And, like, she can be ineffectual and irritating in a way that isn't just, like, actively annoying. But Matt Nix just thinks that she's this old dumb idiot who he wants to mock. But, like, it also seems to be playing into this, like, mythology of, like, playing with expectations. And Michael really can't trust anyone, even the ding-dongs. Yeah. Who's still a ding-dong. Who's always a ding-dong. Like, and she is right. She recognizes that he is a ding-dong. But for the, she is the just like, on the wrong side. On the wrong side. Like, He's a ding-dong the wrong for different kind reasons. of ding-dong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's like a that's like my, my memoir title. Brie Castellini, The Wrong Kind of Ding-Dong. <laughs> How many memoir titles 
you have we given you? <laughs> well, Chris, I live a very long and exciting life. I'm going to need more than one. If we get to a point where we have a wiki, I want that page. <laughs> you want a page of just Brie Castellini's memoir titles? Yes. I'll fucking do it. I'll write all of them. You idiots just watch. Uh, okay. So, Michael in character, sick, which is kind of his only characteristic, uh, gets into a car the next day with Falcone and Rufino, and Rufino accuses him of being a cop because his offer to buy all this land is just too big to be true. But then after a small tense moment, Michael manages to convince him, no, 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 just hear me out. And then doesn't talk for the remainder of the time that they're no, in the car. No, they don't talk. He's like... <laughs> It's like, just listen to me. Because, yeah, they're like, <laughs> they stop like, okay. before the, like, smash and grab can happen. And he's like, get out of the car. You're a cop. You're something. I don't <laughs> trust you. And Michael's like, no, nah, man, you got to trust me. Look at me. Sniffle, sniffle. I'm sick. Um, <laughs> and they're like, like okay. you got to trust me. They're going to kill me. My bosses, you got to give me something. Um, and he's like, fine. I'll keep looking at this file. Yeah, just and he's like, all right, just hear, back up. just hear Like, he's, like, shopping from a catalog. Yeah, and then they drive for, like, another solid probably 20 or 30 seconds, and Michael Weston does not say a word. He just quietly, like, gets the knife out of the briefcase. But it's like, the meeting has resumed, and you're not saying anything. That's crazy. That's a crazy way to resolve that issue. Anyways. It's, it's bonkers. <laughs> It's so bonkers. It is so bonkers. So then the plan carries out as it was meant to. Fiona crashes uh, the garbage truck into the security car in front of the car Michael is in. Um, Sam shoots at them from a sniper perch until the security that has been crashed into stops waving guns around. And then uh, Harlan blows a hole in like the windshield and the engine block of the car that Michael is in. Michael pulls a knife on Rufino and says something snotty to the vampire man that mm, maybe you should get into a different line of business because security clearly isn't your thing. And then they Here's the thing about this with too, the old man. Is that Falcone, vampire man, is aiming a gun like right at Michael. And Michael has a knife to Rufino's throat. Uh-huh. I don't know a lot about violence. But I feel like at that range, Michael would be dead before he had time to react to the gun being fired. Yeah, but like that's like pretty close quarters to pull a gun and like without blowing out your eardrums, the eardrums of your old man boss, like possibly missing him. Listen, Chris, I think yeah. you're misunderstanding. Michael Weston is a spy or he used to be a spy. He knows the angles. And everyone knows he knows the angles. You can just tell by looking at him. You're right. I'm a fool. <laughs> so the, the last thing I want to say about this whole scene, because like basically their plan goes off without a hitch because they've had two other plans that did not go off without a hitch and we're running out of time in the episode. Um, I did but, like that the plans kept going wrong. Yeah, but it because I didn't understand what was really happening or why we were doing this all. Uh, it didn't really it was kind of meaningless to me because it didn't feel the way that it felt in like bad breaks, for instance, where like a plan would go wrong because like something developed. It was just the same thing happened multiple times. Like mm, Rufino's not coming. Mm, Rufino's still not coming. And I don't know. It just 
and it all happened too close together for it to have really built. Like I never got emotionally connected to one of their plans because it was never fully explained. And I also yeah. don't care about Harlan. So like every time they had to change it, I was like, okay, well, I know as much about this new plan as I did the old plan. So I guess we're doing this now. But anyway, this is fair. The, the thing I want to talk about at the very end of this scene is as Michael is leading the old man with the knife into the car, Harlan yells, nice job, Hefe," which feels racist. Am I wrong? Um, at some point earlier, they had called him Hefe. There's a, in fact, if I remember correctly, there was a joke earlier in the episode. Calling Rafino Hefe or calling uh, Michael Hefe? Rafino. Right, but Harlan's not yelling at Rafino. Harlan's yelling at Michael. He is using the Spanish term for boss to Michael as he kidnaps a Hispanic man. I get, well, I, I think the way it's supposed to work is because there's a bit earlier in the episode wherein Harlan is trying to remember the Spanish word for boss. Oh, is there, like, I do not this, remember that at all. It's like the, what do you call it? And then the lower third for Rufino says like El Jefe or something or the Jefe. So it's like a, it's a callback. I don't know that it isn't racist, <laughs> but, but as that's far what as it, you know, it's a callback. It, okay, that's fair. I guess at some point between like that moment and this moment, Harlan learned how to say boss in Spanish. Not from Michael Weston, because as we've established, Michael Weston does not speak Spanish. True, 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 true. I'm a Michael Weston doesn't speak Spanish truther. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, okay, cool. Well, then that's a that's what happened. And it's it's not racist in the way that I thought it was, but it's Matt Nick, so it probably is like a little racist. Oh, I'm sure just it's like a, a just like a just like a whisper of racism. Yeah. Uh, okay, what happens next? So, oh, okay. So, Fee and Sam drive off to the meeting point, And then Harlan and Michael take Rafina to the area where he's supposed to be traded back to Venezuela, which happens to be a pier. And uh, Harlan's like, sorry, there's actually a change of plans. And shoots Rafino dead and then holds the gun at Michael. And it turns out that Michael is the real trade that Harlan was setting up. Uh, Fee and Sam are at the restaurant meeting point where they were all supposed to meet up after the job went down and are starting to get a little bit worried. My, Sam has bought like seven drinks waiting for the boys to show up. And Fee immediately assumes that Harlan is a rat out of absolutely nowhere. I will and say, she didn't immediately assume. They've been there for like three or four hours sure they've been there for three or four hours but like both of these guys are missing and like they had and both also, gone off together and also i immediately assumed he was a rat <laughs> from the very beginning because um because he's obviously a rat because there would have been because no he's a rat and they're always whenever whenever like a guy shows up from michael's past they're always going to try to kill him. It's never yeah, not happened. You're you're metagaming, Chris, and that's not productive in this conversation. But I'm not just saying that they though. have they have like, they have I, no evidence to in any in universe, it's happened enough times 
that I think it's reasonable that Fee would be like, wait a minute. Like, remember when we met another guy from Michael's past and he turned a out handsome to be old man, awful, a super handsome guy, old man. Yeah, some handsome old man. But like, even then, I feel like that's not the only one. I'm sure, certain. but like that, I it just felt like a stretch based on very little. I don't. Know. I I bought it mostly because like I obviously was like, oh no, he's like a fucker. Um, <laughs> she's like, no one could be that dumb. And if they were that dumb, certainly not that flavor of dumb. What is this, <laughs> Cougar Town? <laughs> sure. So they figure out it's Harlem based on no evidence, but cool. We're all fine with it. Hey, guys. Uh, so- <laughs> audi- listening audience. You know what was a fun show? Cougar Town. <laughs> I never finished it. I watched, like, the first two and a half. Like, the problem is, is that it got to a certain point where they were, like, literally rewriting episodes of Scrubs. And I was like, Bill Lawrence, I think you need to let that go. Like, yeah. there is an identical episode of Cougar Town to an episode of Scrubs. Like, the it's the same plot. The same concept, the same resolution, just with different characters, the characters of Cougar Town. And I'm not talking about the the episode of Cougar Town where different, um, where like a bunch of Scrubs actors guest starred and like they made some meta jokes. I mean, they literally ripped a plot from Scrubs into an episode of Cougar Town. And it it wasn't even like the. And I don't think it was. It wasn't even like a good episode of Scrubs. The meta one. Oh, yeah, the meta one was funny, but that yeah, was no, when I the show care. was so yeah. good. I'm just saying at a certain point, it felt like they were just spinning their wheels. Like, yeah, I'm just saying that, hey, if you're out there and you never watched Cougar Town and you're put off by its obviously bad name. Yeah, and if you like this guy and you thought, what if he wasn't the wrong kind of dumb, but he was the right kind of dumb? Or what if you watched, like, every season of Scrubs but didn't know that it was related to Cougar Town, at least in <laughs> terms of, like, creative team? And you miss Scrubs, but you've watched Scrubs so many times. Scrubs is so good. I watch Scrubs once a year at least. Exactly. And what have you done that? But you've done that so many times. And you're like, I wish there was new Scrubs. And you didn't really care about the doctor aspect. And it's like, what if instead of their doctors, they just drank really large glasses of wine? <laughs> and were real estate agents in Florida. Yeah. Cougar Town. <laughs> all right well that's the end of uh our inside the episode of cougar town uh so we are now in like a dark warehouse next to the pier better than this at- show <laughs> and harlan beats up a bound michael in in the dark warehouse and finally we get his villain monologue and what i took from this very confusing and meandering villain talk is that harlan was always kind of jealous of michael and like felt like he was playing second fiddle to him and uh is now a double agent working for rufino's business partners down in venezuela like the venezuelan government thinks he's working for them to help them like bring down rufino but really he is hired by rufino's partners who want Rufino dead because there's too much heat on him because the Venezuelan government is like finally taking him down. And so the plan was for Harlan to set up Michael, like kill Rufino as planned and then set it up. Like Michael is the one that killed him and Michael will get arrested by the Venezuelan authorities. And that's, the I plan. believe that is 100% correct. Cool. That's very confusing. 
but that that that's it's what I, I'm glad. Confusing. It's so confusing, but like cool. I guess that happened. Um, so Michael is sort of like responding as needed and he pulls a knife from somewhere. I guess he had a second knife that Harlan didn't pat him down for because Harlan's a ding dong. We have established this many, many times. And is I like, thought it was the same knife. Is it the same knife? He has a knife on him and he is quietly sawing away at the ropes, binding him from behind. Uh, and like, we keep getting shots of like the blood pooling underneath his chair because he keeps like getting him like stabbing himself as he is trying to like cut himself free which is kind of hardcore and i enjoyed um yes. and so like this is the scene and like the sequence where there's like a lot of really cool shots because it's night and they're near the water and there's all this blood everywhere um and so after michael like fully confirms like harlan is a bad guy and he wants to be a bad guy and this is the choice that he's made he's like cool i just wanted to check and then he breaks out of his bonds and they have a little bit of a fight and then Michael just jumps There's out of the window. There's a nice moment, too, where right as Michael is about to break out of his bonds, Harlan looks down and realizes that he's bleeding and puts it together. And then it just, at the same time, they both kind of go at each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, this is a pretty cool sequence. And so Michael, after getting the upper hand, jumps out the window into the pier, which is like, you know, cinematic parallels to him jumping out of a helicopter a couple of days ago. And so Harlan, in a moment of like, shocking competence uh throws like a barrel out the window after michael and shoots it and it explodes so it must be some kind of like flammable liquid inside this very heavy canister which like lights the surface of the water on fire uh it turns out this works in michael's favor because as we learned yeah spy tip, it's that's the thing just in case you think it's a good idea michael and the voiceover pops in to say no this was dumb <laughs> Don't this get was us good wrong. That looked clever, but it was dumb. Cause Harlan's dumb. I mean, it could have killed him, but in the case in which it does not kill him, Michael can use it to his advantage. Um, so Michael swims away, and it gets to my favorite shot of the episode, even though it does not make sense in context of the episode, where Michael swims under like the pier and kind of punches his way through the pier, like through like a plank of wood, and like the shot is like from slightly above, and we see like a bloody hand come through the slats of the planks, and he like pushes the loose board out of the way, and he like emerges from the water like the creature, like from a the drug Black dealing vampire. <laughs> It was like a very horror movie shot where he like emerges bloody from the depths of the deep. Uh, and I actually very much enjoyed it. And then he grabs a big rock and like runs off. And then we get a sequence where Harlan is like kind of wandering around with his gun, like trying to find Michael. And he finds like the pool of blood and everything. And he follows a he's very got, like, a conspicuous. Yeah, he's got a flashlight and he's like looking around in the dark, like yelling villain things like, come on, Michael, come out and play like crap like that. Um, and the, the the trail of blood that Michael is leave, leaving to like lead Harlan into the next encounter of this event uh, is a lot of blood for the amount that I think blood. makes sense for what he was doing. Like if he lost truly this much blood, he would not be standing. Like, I don't care how good of a spy you are. That is an unnatural amount of blood to have lost from like a couple of scratches on your wrist. And based on yeah. the bandaging that we see in a later scene, there is no way he is alive. If that much blood came out of that small of a, at wound. the very least he is woozy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the, let's see. 
yeah, so then Harlan is led into a second warehouse. Michael, like, swings from the rafters from above him. It kicks him into something and then beats him with a pillowcase full of rocks and gets the gun away from him. Uh, cut to the next morning. The Venezuelan authorities roll up as the sun breaks over the horizon of the pier and they find Rufino dead and Harlan tied up nearby. A phone next to Harlan rings and in a moment, a moment showcasing a staggering lack of self-preservation, one of the agents just answers it. You know, this is a phone. There's probably definitely not a bomb here. That's not a thing that exists in this universe at all. Uh, Michael asks him to speak English because Michael can't speak Spanish, as we know. We have discussed this at length uh, and mysteriously explains the situation and hangs up. And after a half-hearted look around to see where this phone call had come from, the guy's like, all right, let's just arrest Harlan, our employee, with zero evidence. Sounds good to us. It was just like, it was wrapped up so neatly from a very so suspicious neatly. phone call. And he was like, yeah, you know, Harlan did seem like kind of a ding dong, but in the wrong way. The wrong flavor of ding dong. You know what? You're right, mysterious man who can't speak Spanish on the phone. I believe you. And so it's like, it's wrapped up in a way Maybe that makes that's absolutely why. no sense. Maybe Michael thought that if he spoke Spanish well, they would assume that he was part of the of Venezuelan plot. It's like, no, I got to sound. No, it's not. It's because Michael can't speak Spanish. Yeah, it's definitely because Michael can't speak Spanish. And also because Michael, Matt Nix can't write resolutions because his shit was too convoluted. And so by the time we get to the resolution, it doesn't make any fucking sense because we don't have time to deal with any of this. Like, it's so needlessly complicated. Make it cleaner and the episode is better. But I guess we're not interested in episodes being good. So moving on. Back at Madeline's place with Sam and Fee, Madeline frets over Michael's cuts and tries to pretend like she totally distrusted Harlan this whole time, which I guess is an okay end to that plot point, but I really wish Matt Nix had more respect for Madeline and let her do more than just be in the way and smoke. Yeah, it. what's the point of it? What's like, it's there not is like no point. funny. Matt Nix writes things like- so that he can have one funny line in a later scene. None of it means anything. None of it has any kind of emotional resonance. None of it has any kind of like logical resonance as we saw in the plot resolution in the last scene. He just writes things so that he can have like one cool moment a scene. The problem is that doesn't make a cohesive episode of television. It doesn't. So that scene happens and we learn nothing. And then we finally have a wrap up scene with Marta. Remember the person who actually hired them to do this job? Yeah. Uh, her dad is, is out fine. of prison. I was, I remember wondering like, is Marta in on this? Right. But like, no, Marta's nope. not in on it. She's, she's just a woman that got fooled, fooled on. Yeah, no, she is just a good and pure, a good and pure woman. Who's never done anything wrong in her life. Nope. And her daddy's out of prison uh, and everything's going to be fine. Uh, Sam has like followed Michael to this because Madeline made some weird speech at the end of the last scene where she's like, you three need to stick together. And they all look around at each other like, "Ooh, that's a good idea. (laughs) As if it had occurred to none of them before Madeline said something. But anyways, so Sam is like on his bright red convertible and he and Mike have a conversation about like what Michael's going to do next. And Michael's like, well, at this point, like, I need an agency, and I need to get my old job back. And Sam's like, hell yeah, we bleed red, white, and blue, brother- motherfucker. And they ride off into the sunset in their shiny new red convertible from the 39-going-on 22-year-old. The end. Burn notice, a show about men. <laughs> about men and America. 
America. America. Is there a difference? Ooh. Masculinity was invented in America. Masculinity wasn't nope. invented until 1776. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Christ. We didn't like this episode, guys. Could you tell? Get fucked, Reddit. Guys. <laughs> I was going to like defend I was going to like defend Reddit or whatever, but like if you like this episode Reddit then fuck you. Coming in hot for season three. Specifically Reddit. Twitter, if you like this episode, it's okay. You're on thin ice, but it's okay. (laughs) But you are on thin ice, and we need to make that clear. Let's get into some spy tips so we can end this suffering. Number one, the backbone of most hotel phone systems is secured by nothing more than a door and a cheap lock, which makes them convenient for people who need to make quick, untraceable phone calls. I'm not one of those people, but I, I needed to. Yeah, if you needed to. It's useful to know, like, if you need to make a phone call, that would be, like, a hotel would be a business that you should try to break into. Uh, Mm -hmm. Cool. Number two, in high-security places, uniforms are for show. The real security doesn't announce itself with anything but wary looks and shirts loose enough to hide a gun. So this is on thin ice for sure, uh, but I I just thought it was an interesting observation that particularly in like high security areas, the security that you're looking for isn't always going to be obvious and looking for men with like loose shirts might be a good starting point to see who might be yeah, actual I could see security. It. it did seem wild to me that the implication was that in this bar, there was real security and decoy security. Well, he does a lot of real creepy stuff to women, so you need, like, a double-layer security thing to make sure that b- the girls can't get out before they sign an NDA. It's like, it, it's called, they call it the Bloomberg method. Christ. <laughs> Bloomberg 2020. I'm still hoping he comes back in. Jesus. He's got enough money. He can do it. He's got American Samoa uh, on his side. He does. <laughs> Him and Tulsi. His running mate's going to be Tulsi. Um, Jesus Christ, this world is a nightmare and there's a plague and everything is bad. Uh, number three, spy tip. High status cover IDs are rarely effective. Claim to be a big shot as Michael has in every other episode of this show and people get 100% all the time. He's a big shot, (laughs) but he, but he's like a spy. So like spies can be big shots because they're so good at it. But normally claim to be a big shots errand boy and people don't think twice. Act like you don't want to be there because you're tired, you're underappreciated or you're sick and people tend to trust you even more. I will say he also pretends to be a big shots errand boy a lot. That's true. It's just it's funny that this like the the introductory sentence to this spy tip flies in the face of everything else we know to be true about this world that they've set up. But I like the list of like wait like traits you can give your cover ID to be less suspicious. Agreed. Cool. Security levels vary widely for different kinds of vehicles. Garbage trucks, for example, are expensive, but the fact that they're hard to hide and harder to sell means you don't find a lot of garbage truck alarm systems. That's interesting. It was interesting. I'll allow it. Yeah. Listen, Matt mixes a lot of things, but he has a lot of spy tips. Like this, and this, this I had to cut That's from a list loves. much longer. But yeah, it's exactly. Like this is the thing that he's good at. Yeah. So cool. Uh, number five. I, close... You know what I say to that spy tip? Huh? Neat. <laughs> Uh, number five, in close spaces and knives often more effective than a gun. Easier to handle, easier to hide, and in the right hands, scarier. 
This one's this on the is, fence. This is on the fence. It's tough for me. Um, because you don't believe because it my, based on this My hands are never going to be the right hands. <laughs> sure. And but, so that's a problem. But my hands might be. Oh, your hands definitely. Do you think my hands are good, Chris? <laughs> do you think I have good hands? What could my hands Okay, this do, tip Chris? doesn't get to go. What makes them no. G- I'm saying no to this tip now. The bit Fuck is over. Tip. I demand it. Uh, are you, for my good, good hands, allowing this tip in? Uh, for my good hands and my good hands alone. I'm telling you, I'm, like, it's fine. It can like we're gonna stay. we're gonna get to five. Like this is the fifth tip, and and even if we say no to it, like one of the other three is gonna be it. So all right, then yeah, fuck this tip. No. <laughs> Are you saying fuck my you hands aren't hands. good? Oh no. Uh, all right, new number five. The rolling meeting is a popular security measure among high end criminals. It's hard for law enforcement to bug, and it's a lot easier to detect any surveillance. Do it in an armored car with an armed team, and it's not just a secure place. It's a fortress on wheels. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I like it. It's like it's kind of like the tip from a couple of episodes ago where that guy ha- put his stolen merchandise in an airplane and has had it fly around for 23 hours a day. Oh, yeah, that was cool. That was a really cool tip. This is like baby's first. It's a less good version of that. Moving thing. Yeah, exactly. But it's still a good tip. Uh, number six, when you're trying to hide in the water, fire is your friend. A very common thing that happens a lot when you're in the water. The light turns the surface of the water into a mirror. Then it's just a matter of finding a place to surface where the fire isn't consuming all the oxygen. So in the very specific times where you are underwater and all of a sudden there is a fire on the surface of the water, neat. Here's here's my problem with this tip is that previously in my research, I have been told that fire bad. <laughs> but and so that's I don't know why, if I that's trust why Michael tip. Weston is the spy, because Michael Weston is saying in some circumstances, fire good. And he would know he used to be a spy. He used to be spy. He used to be spy. Fire good. So fire good. Okay. <laughs> cool. So let's rate this episode. Um, the answer to the rating might surprise you. It won't surprise you. So yes, there were at least five practical spy tips in this episode. Uh, did Michael use spycraft over violence to solve the case of the week? Uh. So here's my thing. First, what are we defining as the case of the week? The getting Marta's dad out of prison? Yeah. If it's that, they had to set up a whole thing. He had to, like, lie to the guy to get him to drive the car. And then not talk to him the entire time. And then not talk with him the entire time. Like, the problem is that the only real thing that they did for this case is he got into a car and then they crashed it, held everyone at gunpoint, and kidnapped an old man who then ended up dead. I will say, I've been itching to fail an episode for this because <laughs> we've never done it. Like, that's I don't a know. Bad like, reason to do it. No, it's, it's like spite. We can only keep this show running on so much spite. Some of it has to be True. from another thing. But I um, I genuinely don't know if I would consider this a solving the weekly case in spycraft over violence because like the thing is I wasn't... think there was a lot 
I will say, I think there was a lot of spycraft in the episode that but solved. But was it used nothing. to? Yeah, exactly. But does does it does it actually solve the case? And then everything else is just kind of vile. You know what? Yeah, it's violence. It's all just violence. Yeah, it's kind of all just violence. Violence, incompetent, and incompetence. Should be the name of the episode. <laughs> okay, cool. So no. So it needs to get both of the other two tenants. Otherwise, it is not a great episode of Burn Notice. Uh, okay. Was there a distinct Michael Weston alias? Do we consider Tom Willington Esquire, lawyer for a shady international investment group, a distinct alias? And remember, he, he is sick. He is sick. And he does. Here's what I will say about the sickness is he he's not just sick. He has a handkerchief, which is a very specific choice for a person. It's he like, I'm not prop, just yeah. someone who's sniffly. I have a handkerchief. Like, I didn't bring, well, bring like a little. His name is Tom Wellington. Uh, it's Willington, I think. And Michael His makes a big thing. His name is Tom Willington. Yeah. He has a name. He has a handkerchief. He has a sickness. He has the coronavirus, perhaps. Um, I wasn't going to, but you did. <laughs> I went there. I've already stand for Bloomberg 2020. I'm all over the place. <laughs> Fucking Christ. <laughs> uh, I don't know. What do you like? We're we're getting deep enough into the show where we've seen enough basic aliases that it's gonna, I think, get harder. For I didn't enjoy the show. watching him. I did enjoy watching him. Like, listen, as much as I want to fail <laughs> a Matt Nix episode as badly as you do, um, it was an it was an alias. He had a name. He had a like physicality. He had a consistent. Yeah, it's not bad. I will say because, like, again, I next week I enjoyed watching him. Next week. Yeah. And this, he was fine. Like, I don't have a strong opinion about this. I also don't want to just do it out of spite. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not fine. saying it's out of spite. But, yeah, it's, it was a distinct alias. Especially, like, the fact that he also had a name. And early on the episode, he, he didn't have a name, a but he did have a, sh- but he also had a shiny suit and a fedora earlier in the episode. He did have lot, that. There was a lot of character play in this you know episode what? by Michael I'm going to give it to him. But what a, what really would have pushed it over the edge if it was a monogrammed handkerchief <laughs> with like Esquire on it? Because I did like that his yeah. his characterization was specifically Esquire. Esquire, like that's Esquire is just like a very funny like title to me. It is, and so anytime it's used as an alias, I find it very amusing. All right, fine. All right, finally. All right. Were the side characters used well? Did Fee get to blow something up, and did Sam get to be peak Bruce Campbell? All right, well, Fee did not get to blow something up. And, but I will say, but I think she was used well this episode because she's she making well genuinely too. good points. I don't think that Matt Nix thinks she's making as good of points as she does. But I do but think yeah, that I like she, she got a full arc. She got to be a full person. She got to have an opinion that was more than just, yeah. I'm in love with Michael. So I like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I was good. Uh, Sam seduced a woman out of her car. So that's pretty that's, peak Bruce like, Campbell. It's kind of, I don't know. But, like, he said the shitty, the weird thirty nine twenty two thing. Like, Bruce Campbell was, like, really bad in the opening scene. He's bad in the scene with Fiona. There's this bit at the end where, like, Fiona, like, walks off and he shouts after her. And it's bad. Yeah. It's badly acted. Like, his, his position in this episode was kind of just, like, America good, woman overreact. 
and yeah. 39 going on 22. I like It's like he's easy like in all the wrong look ways. like dilfs is what he said. Yeah. And it's weird cuz like he's kind of cheesy and gross but like usually in like a fun loving way. But in this episode exactly. I agree. I was skeeved out a little. And I don't think Yeah, Bruce no, Campbell I felt weird about it. Yeah. It's a line. It's like it's got to be the good kind of skeezy, just like the good kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Sam wasn't used well, but Fee was. But and was. we have considered that in the past to be a pass for this tenant. Yes. Therefore, this episode gets three out of four of the things that it needs. And therefore, it is officially a great episode of Burn Notice. Christ. So for the second season in a row, the season premiere is a great episode of Burn Notice. However, mm. the moment you've all been waiting for is this an episode of television or a great episode of television? Okay, it's an, I mean, it's an episode of television. Yeah, it's a, and I it's, would barely call it that. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, indeed. This is a rough one, gang. Season I mean, three. <laughs> it gave us a lot to talk about, but yeah, I, I'm not as nervous as Chris is about the fact that this is setting up uh, uh, the entire season for failure, but it certainly was not heartening. However, I will say, I enjoy the concept of this season so far. That is that Michael is kind of being attacked from all sides because he no longer has protection. And I do think that that is an interesting and compelling season arc, or at least half season arc, while he gets it under control. And I do think, I as much as as much as much I am annoyed about the CIA, him wanting to, still wanting to get back into the CIA, despite that not making any sense, I get what he's saying about the fact that he's like, listen, I'm glad that management is off my back, but they're not wrong. I do need like institutional backing because I have gotten myself into a lot of hot water and I could use some resources. So like I buy that for him and I buy that like in, you know, reaction to all of this going down, him thinking I need, you know, help. Yeah. Of an institutional nature. Um, so like I think that there is potential in this season. It's just that they got to stop letting Matt Nix write episodes. It's too bad, as we know from the title card, that this was created <laughs> by Matt Nix. Thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. You can find more of his music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. Fuck this episode. <laughs> but for real, though.